Look at verse number 12 in chapter number 6. I know it's kind of hard. We've had um, all of our meetings right after we eat. I was thinking about that. That's a good thing I'm standing up because I might fall asleep. But if you do feel tired, just just feel free to stand up. and uh, It's not going to bother me. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your, ye, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Father, I pray that you'd show us how we are to yield ourselves, how you desire that we would be men who are yielded to you, and that we would not yield ourselves to any act of unrighteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he starts off, he says, therefore, and, and we, we understand he's going, therefore, he's going back to what we had just covered. What, what were some of the things we covered? That the old man is dead. Who we were in Adam, that's all gone. And then he said, reckon yourselves dead indeed. And, and if you're reckoning yourselves dead indeed to sin, um, you have a new relationship to sin. Sin's no longer your master. And then he starts off and he says, uh, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. What is he saying? He's saying, don't let sin control the way you live. Remember, sin's reign over you has broken. If sin can convince you, if the enemy can convince you that sin has power over you, then you'll let it exercise power over you. But you realize that sin... Can't, contr- can't control you in the sense that unless you yield yourself to it? You know, do you remember the, the old comedian? Um, I can't remember his name. He always used to do that, Flip Wilson. Do you remember? Flip Wilson, wasn't it? And he had this uh, character, um, oh gosh, he'd dress up as a woman. Um, Geraldine. Geraldine. Right? You guys remember that? <laughs> Hilarious. He wasn't cross-dressing like, like they would down in the city, you know. I mean, he was just doing it for fun. And and he would talk about how the devil made him do it, you know. And it was a funny thing. But a lot of us in our mentality is, oh, the devil made me do it. But do you realize that God has so secured you to himself that the devil can't make you do anything? Now, he can tempt you and he can attack you, But he can't make you do anything. Not a thing. But if you yield yourself to unrighteousness, he can get you doing unthinkable things. It's a real dilemma. You see, what we're supposed to do is our spirit is free from sin. But we can make the choice to let sin rule in our physical body. And he says, don't do it. It's contrary to who you are. He says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Don't allow any part of your body to be used in an unrighteous act. Now, we talked about grace, and there's no ending to talking about grace. But the implication of grace, really, 
is, is that we live out in freedom. Now, the great fear of some people when it comes to grace and talking about the abundance of grace and, and, and God's riches and mercies and all of his grace, they, they, they fear that some people are going to live a lascivious or a, a lifestyle in license as though sin was permissible, but they're a complete contradiction to one another because sin is bondage. I don't know, you know, I mean, I know there's things that every one of us struggle with, but you get yourself in bondage and you can't call it freedom. Sin doesn't set you free. You say, well, it's just a small sin. But whatever sin it is, and he's saying, don't yield any part of your body. Don't yield your members to any act of unrighteousness. It's unthinkable for those of us who have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ to live in a manner that's contrary to his righteousness. What is it righteousness? I mean, talk to me about it. Hang in there with me. When you think of righteousness, what do you think of? Right living. Okay, living in a, in a, in a manner that's right with God. Holiness, what about patience? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> what was that? What, what was that? I'll say, you say? It's holy. What? Under his, under his reign? I prefer to say reign. Yeah. Because we're going to look at it. We're not a lawless people, even though we don't live under the law. That's later in the passage. Selflessness. When you think about it, righteousness means to, to, to... It's not as though we have some kind of a halo around our head. It means that we're manifesting... The, the life and the character of Jesus Christ. I keep asking you this, and I'm going to... What, what are some adjectives you would use to describe Jesus based on what you know from the gospel? Come on. Selflessness. I like it. He's perfect. Patience, love, joy, right? Okay. <clears throat> now, if you took that poll... From the people who know you. I always like doing this. Right? I mean, seriously. We talk about having a serious walk with God. You take a poll of your wife, your children, your co-workers, you know, your friends. And you say, what adjectives would you use to describe me? You see, my point is that we substitute sometimes religious ideas for what the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives. And Jesus is saying righteousness is just the manifestation of, of a right standing. To, to live in righteousness is to live as one who's in right standing with God. Which was, was there anybody who was more righteous than Jesus Christ? No. And so what our, our, our focus needs to become is you know, what are the hindrances to that being manifest in our lives? You see, it reveals his characters. And so he's saying, don't let your members obey lust in all its form. Don't, don't let your members be yielded to sexual immorality. Don't let your members be yielded to idolatry, which is covetousness. You, you realize that, that you can be, you can sometimes be considered a good Christian and still be idolatrous. 
can still have idols. We call them, we don't call them idols. We call them homes. Now, don't misunderstand me. You have a nice home. There's nothing wrong with it. But what happens when we begin to bow down before it? When, when we begin to serve the home over God? Right? So if you have a nice home, don't, I'm not criticizing you at all. I'm saying, but don't worship that home. Don't let that home determine what you do, right? You got, you got a boat, a bass boat? Gosh, a nice bass boat? Okay, but some guys can let a bass boat become an idol, right? Because it takes them away from serving God. It, they begin to serve it. They begin to care for it. And is there anything wrong with the bass boat? Not, not if I have it. No, no, there ain't nothing wrong with the bass boat unless you bow down to it. Do you see what I mean? He's saying, listen, don't yield yourself to this immorality or drunkenness or greed, but let the Spirit reveal love, joy, peace, so that your life is impacting people with a genuine righteousness. The unbelieving world sometimes will become nauseated with our religiosity, but it will never become offended. No one was ever offended except for religious people by the character of Jesus Christ. And so he continues, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so what is he saying? He's saying, men, give yourself completely to God. It's a reoccurring theme that I've talked to you about over the last two days, but will you yield? And saying God doesn't, doesn't negotiate, but, but really it comes down to this one thing. Who are you yielding to? And God's calling you to yield completely to Him. Completely to Him. Now, you're here, so you're giving, you're giving of yourself to God above average. Right? I mean, you're a lot better than those scoundrels that didn't show. <laughs> right? Now, is above average what God's looking for? And I'm teasing, you know, some guys just couldn't get off work, wanted to be here. But don't we compare ourselves and establish righteousness apart from Christ by saying, well, you know, I paid the price to be there. Don't we, we don't do that kind of stuff? You know, I took the bullet, you know. I came, I took two days off work, uh, over eight, shot too much ammo. Trying to take a nap today. You guys are shooting them here and there. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Sound like the army was practicing up there. <laughs> we got a militia group. So we think, you know, I mean, even pastors, full-time servants, you know, we're we're always looking for people who 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 are above average, aren't we, Pastor? I mean, gosh, come on. Uh, just anyone who just shows some little bit of commitment. Yeah. What's God looking for? 100%. What does he want from you? I mean, he, he lays down this incredible doctrine. And he says, listen, you've been set free. What you were in Adam, you aren't anymore. The sinner you were, you aren't anymore. No. He didn't say you don't have the capacity to sin. He says that's just not your nature. So quit living contrary to your nature. 
But now he's saying, now listen, I want you to live a life that's completely yielded to him. And why don't we yield to him? Why don't we say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Why don't we say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Lord, whatever you ask me to give, I'll give. The only thing I can come up with is that we don't really trust God like we say we do. We question his character, whether he had his plan would be as good for us as our plan. Because we're like, yeah, but man, heck no. He might call me to Africa or something like that. And, you know, I think sometimes it's missionaries' faults. I can criticize missionaries because I've been one for 21 years. You can't because you haven't. <laughs> That's fair, huh? You should only be able to criticize those who, that you've done it, right? But then here's my, let me tell you, sometimes missionaries get in the mode of trying to get people to feel sorry for them. Like because they made all these sacrifices. Maybe they raised a little more money or something like that. People feel sorry for him. But let me tell you about my 21 years on the mission field. I love it. What God's will and purpose for my life was good. I don't look back at 10 years in Vietnam and think, oh, gosh, it was horrible. Now, sometimes my kids do, but, <laughs> and that's a problem. You know, I mean, kids growing up, um, being, being aliens in a different culture, not accepted there, not accepted here, it's difficult for the kids. They made some huge sacrifices, but, but God's will and purposes for our lives, it's not bad. And besides that, even if it was contrary to what we thought might be best, why, why I thought we were people of citizens of another kingdom. I thought we were just pilgrims passing through. I thought our allegiance wasn't to this world. So I'm saying to you, friends, would you yield yourself to complete righteousness? Would you present yourself? Would you yield yourself to God? I'm not asking you to focus on sin. I'm asking you to get past sin because that's what the scripture leads you to. But to actively yield to his indwelling life. I'm not calling anybody to the mission field. I don't know where God wants you to be. He probably wants you in Roner Park. The mission field. But wherever he wants you to be, he needs you actively yielding to his indwelling life. I want you to grab a hold of this very simple but incredible fact that he lives in you. He's in you. Because he wants to live and express his life through you. For sin shall have, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Did you hear it? So if there's sin and it seems to be reigning in your life, it's something that you, a stronghold in your life, look at what he's saying. He's saying, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now here's a strange thing. He throws that in there. He says, you're not under the law, but under grace. So don't get mad at me, get mad at Paul. Sometimes people say, yeah, but you said we're not on the law. I didn't say that. I have never equated anything I said with the word of God. I mean, I'm trying to illuminate it, but I'm telling you, he says, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. He says, 
You're no under law, under the law, but under grace. But let's look at it. He said, to remember, what was the purpose of the law? Last night I showed you from Timothy. The purpose of the law was for the lawless. It was for the drunkard. It was for the immoral. It was for the, the murderer. Why is it that we don't have an, aren't, we aren't a people who live on an external law? Because we have God living in us. Romans 6.15 says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Yeah, we're supposed to party and have a great time. <laughs> Some of you are asleep. Some of you shook you. What? <laughs> he says, certainly not. How could you live contrary to who I've made you to be? Shall we continue in sin because we aren't under the law? Let it never be. It's beyond... Uh, beyond thought, the question is not, can we? Because certainly we have the capacity. But shall we? The mere suggestion that God's grace is a license to sin is self-contradictory. The very purpose of God's grace is to free us from sin. So he's saying, listen, don't let it dominate you. Don't give it the authority it doesn't have. Don't lend yourself to it in any form or fashion. Can I continue on in a lifestyle of sin? just as though nothing had really happened to me, except that maybe I'll go to heaven when I die? Could you hear this? Just pray this prayer. Pray this prayer, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. But let me ask you this. Can you be a true believer and have absolutely no change of nature, no transformation, can you just continue living the same way you always lived? I'll let you answer it. I think the scripture says, absolutely not. So, we're not under the law, but here's the important thing. We're not a lawless people. You see, we sang that uh, little chorus, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And in the old covenant system, the lamp, the word is a lamp unto our feet. But, but in the new covenant, it's much more than just a lamp. It's, it's more than something external. It's internal. He wrote his law upon our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit so that we can be a people who walk in relationship with him. We have the word of God to help us keep focused and to understand uh, when we're being tempted, when we might be being led astray. We're not a lawless people that just say, ah. but I love this quote that I read from Augustine. I read a translation of uh, Augustine's writings, and he said, love God and do as you please. Now, when I first read that, I was kind of like, huh? Just like most of you were when I just said it. You said, you said that in a Baptist church? Well, you know what I mean. But here, because this is what you're worried about. Do as you please. But let me ask you this. Just track with me a little bit. If you were completely yielded to God, you had completely yielded yourself to his way, his righteousness, his path for your life. That your life was in complete pursuit of him and he was the object of your love and all of your desires. 
Why couldn't you do what you pleased? See, I think what Augustine had was that he had the right idea because he said the first part of it is love God. You know, I've never sinned when I was looking into the face of Jesus. Have you? You can't. It's like sinning in front of your mom, you know? I mean, it just, doesn't, it just can't do it, you know? But worse, because God knows he penetrates the heart. And he's saying, listen, love him, pursue him, yield yourself to him. Because we have the life of Jesus in him and we live by the law of the love of Christ. We're under grace in order to be free from the sin's hold. Sin is actually slavery. You're thinking, well, my sin, it's innocent. It doesn't have any victims, but does you. And we learned from Adam that even though we can sin, just one sin can have an effect on a great multitude of people. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin yielding to death or of obedience yielding to righteousness? You see what he's laying out? He's building this continuing argument. He's letting you know there's really two choices here. Who are you going to yield yourself to? And you're a slave. You become a slave. So when you yield your mind and your heart to pornography, you become a slave. You say, yeah, but I'm free. I'm a Christian. I'm free. God will forgive me. But he's saying, you're a slave. You can become a slave to it. And he's saying, no, that's not who you are. Don't live there. I've come to set you free. There's two alternatives, to be a slave to sin or to be a slave of righteousness. And what I want to ask you to do tonight was you yield yourself to be a slave of righteousness. Would you say, Lord, here I am. I yield myself to be a slave. And he uses the word slave properly instead of the word servant. He wants you to understand that you're not just an employee of righteousness where you can quit if you don't like the working environment. You, you know, we, we giggle, but people lead churches all the time. I, I, I struggle with it. Oh, I'm leaving. I don't like it, you know. You know, you're not meeting my needs. What does this church have to do? What does this church have that meets my needs? What does it have for me? I didn't realize you'd come into Walmart. But there's a lot of people out there, and that's their attitude towards the church and towards the kingdom, that it's like a Walmart or a Sizzler buffet. But what he's asking you tonight, whether we're young or we're old, he's asking us, would you yield yourself to be a slave of righteousness? You see, this is a wonderful thing, no matter how much we've messed up or how we've kind of lived life on our own or done our own thing or, you know, I did it my way, which is horrible, sinful song, right? We did it our way, but it was a life of sin. And he's saying to us, would you yield yourself to God, a slave? Think about it. What's the character of a slave? Does a slave have choice? The slave does what the master wants. Well, what if he doesn't like it? 
tough, right? Right? Why? Because he's a, he's a slave. So what does a slave do? The slave does whatever the will of the master is. But if it's inconvenient, what if it doesn't fit a schedule? Tough again, double tough, right? What if it's not what he likes to do? What if it's not convenient? What if the the what? What if the Raiders are playing? Oh, now he's getting personal. <laughs> now I know Jeff. I know Jeff. He loves the Raiders, but he wouldn't skip church to watch the Raiders. <laughs> Not after tonight. <laughs> no. Now listen to me. But li- li- listen more than to, than to listen to me. Listen to the Holy Spirit. What in your life have you not yielded to him? Your wallet? Your time? Your desires? Your goals for life? Because sometimes you have goals for life and they interfere with the kingdom. I don't know what it is. I'm just asking you, would you yield to him? Because you are a slave to whomever you obey. A slave doesn't serve his own will. I read a book by Ray Stedman. Ray Stedman was the pastor at uh, Peninsula Bible Church for decades. And he had some good things to say. I read some of his books and he, he, in one of his books, he had the, uh, you, you don't like him? Oh, no, I can't remember. This was a book he, actually on, he wrote on Romans. And he said that he was in Los Angeles and he saw a guy with one of those sandwich boards, you know, that people used to wear. And he said on the front of it, it says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And on the back, it said, whose slave are you? (laughs) You see, sometimes people will say, the unbeliever will say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to give up my freedom. But the reality is they're not free. Why? They're they're slaves to sin. You say, yeah, but I just, you know, I want to be free because I want to go out and get drunk on Friday nights. You're not free. You're a slave. You see, you're either a slave of Jesus Christ or you're a slave to sin. Slavery to sin always leads to death. But he says now we are slaves of righteousness. Listen, the idea being we have no freedom to do anything but righteousness. Nothing but righteousness is what suits us. And... John chapter 8, Jesus told his disciples, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when we're free in Christ, we're free indeed. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says, but God be thanked that though he, we were slaves of sin, yet you were obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. It's the same kind of language being repeated over and over again. And he's trying to get us to understand the gospel delivers us from sin. He starts off and he says, God be thanked. 
You know, it would do us good to start the morning and say, thank you, Jesus, that you set me free. Reminding ourselves of what's true so that as we enter into the battle of the day, we're not going around thinking, oh, I'm a slave, but remembering who I am, that you set me free, that an old man died, that now I'm a liberated child of God. And now I'm free to obey. Do you remember when you were an unbeliever, there were times, I mean, I mean, at least for me, I remember as a Catholic, I knew a lot of the law. I wanted to obey, but I had no power to obey. But you realize that now when you live under grace, you have the freedom for the first time of your life to yield yourself and to live a life of obedience. Obedience is no longer something we do in our own power, but by yielding to his indwelling life. And grace, this grace produces righteousness because there's been a transfer of ownership in our lives. Under, under grace, we are, we are liberated, we are set free to a life of obedience. Look at verse 19, and I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart to God. What we're talking about here is not that you're never going to fail. We're not talking about sinless perfection. What we're talking about is having a life that's holy, a life that's set apart to God, a life where you live as a slave of righteousness. He spoke in human terms because of the weakness of the flesh. I think he was talking about... uh, the whole figure of slavery was using something that was very common in Roman society. The vast majority of the population lived in slavery. But he goes on and he says, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. But it was like he just said, it just kept building. It got worse. First Timothy says all of these things that were happening in lawlessness was murder and all kinds of sexual perversion. And you see it, even in society today. I mean, what's accepted as normal, quote, uh, a generation ago was pretty strange, and two generations ago was unthinkable. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness so that everything we do, we do unto his glory. Everything we do, we do as those who have been set apart from the world unto God. And then look at verse number 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Did you get that? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. When you were a slave of sin, you weren't thinking about, oh, you know, how can I live for Jesus? You were thinking about self. And then he goes on. He said, I mean, you were slaves. You were obligated to the will of the master. And true righteousness is only the concern of those who are under the righteous rule of Jesus. There was no obligation to righteousness. But that's who we used to be. 
One cannot be the slave of sin and the slave of righteousness at the same time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It's a pretty well-known verse. He says, no man can serve two masters. For either, either, I'm going to misquote it, I think. For either he will hate the one and love the other or... You guys remember what I'm talking about? It's in the Bible, I promise. Because it ends and he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. He says, you can't be both the slave of sin and the slave of righteousness. And he says, what fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? You know, you can look back on your life as an unbeliever. And there are things that you're ashamed of. The sins you thought were going to bring you so much fun. You think of the pain. It's not to have shame. Jesus liberates us from those things. But Satan wants you to live in defeat. That's why I say, you know, we're supposed to remind ourselves, renew our minds. But Satan is the great reminder. Because he'll remind you of your weak points, of your failures. And you have to remind him of where he belongs. Do you remind him? (laughs) I mean, when he starts reminding me of my sins, I remember just last night I laid down in bed and I was done reading through some things. And all of a sudden, man, he was just, I felt like he was just attacking me spiritually. So I reminded him of where he belongs. Like, you know, you could remind me of every sin you want, but Jesus can't remember them. Why? Because he made a volitional choice of his will to put them in the deepest part of the sea as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because they've been cleansed, not just covered, cleansed by the blood so that I bear them no more. He nailed them to his cross. You can go on and on and, and Satan, you belong at home in the eternal regions. And we wait for that day when Satan is cast into the bottomless pit with hell. When I do that, he seems to quit bothering me. If I sit there and go, oh, don't think on that. Don't think about that. Don't you? No. But he wants us to realize that we've yielded ourselves and now we are slaves of righteousness. Because the scripture says, for the end of those things is death. Listen, if nothing else, we've seen sin kills and it destroys. And then he continues and he says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. You see, these things are repeated. There's a reason it's repeated. Paul wants to emphasize it because it's so easy for us to meet, to miss. He said, you have been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. You're free from sin's power. You have a new master reigning over you. You're set free. Affirm this truth. Remind yourself continually that you're free. Free, not not to sin. Forbid the thought. Free for once from its power over your life. The bondage that it would hold you in. The fruit of Our slavery to God is holiness. 
Sometimes we talk about holiness and we think it's sinlessness, perfection, as though we're never going to sin or fail. But holiness is simply our being set apart to God, to where his character starts to manifest, where we're not naturally tender-hearted, where we become tender-hearted people, where we might not naturally be at peace, where we have peace, where we not, may not naturally be merciful, we see and experience mercy, where we start to understand that love has really nothing to do with about pleasing myself, but is the giving of myself selflessly and sacrificially for the benefit of others, just like my Savior gave himself to me. And it comes to the place where we begin to recognize that we don't make choices based on what's pleasing to us, but what's pleasing to our Savior. Why? Because we are slaves of righteousness. And we bear fruit to God in holiness. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here he wraps up the chapter and he tells us that sin was a terrible taskmaster. Sin results in death. Wages comes from the Greek opsonia, referring to a daily ration of fish given to a Roman soldier. He goes, this is what you're going to get, death. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. <laughs> Isn't that good news? There's death versus life, sin versus God, wages versus free gift. And he offers you and I the choice. He says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is found only in him. Why, why is it eternal life? Have you thought about this? When does eternal life begin? What's that? Yeah. I like it. Because most of us think of eternal life beginning with the day we die. Right? We die, we go to heaven, that's when eternal life begins. But Joseph is a great theologian. He's heard me before, huh? <laughs> uh, what is it? Eternal life begins the moment the life of the Creator lives in you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I mean, sometimes we sit there and we go, oh, we're waiting for heaven, right? Right? But do you realize that you have eternal life living in you now? Because you have the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit living in you. You can't produce salvation. It must be received by faith in him. But it's yours. And it began right now. So tonight, I'm going I'm to wrap it up there. I think 45 minutes is probably uh, good for after dinner. But I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Would you yield yourself to him? I know that you are, I know all of you men enough to know that you've made professions of faith, that you've put your trust in Jesus, and you know that you're born again. I know, I, I, I'm not worried about that. What I want to ask you is tonight, would you say, Lord, here I am.
Where you want me to go, I'll go. What you want me to do, I'll do. What you ask me to give, I'll give. You say, yeah, but I'm 50. Me too. I got you. I'm t- I don't care if you're, you're 30 or you're 60 or whatever. I, I want us to say, listen, we read and we studied about what it means to be a slave of righteousness. Would we yield ourselves? Would we confess to God that we are his slaves? And thank him that we have a master who cares deeply about us. And to confess that we know that means we have to let go. That we can't be in control of our money, our time, our families. We're giving up control so that he can be God. And we the servant slaves. So no matter what he wants us to do, we'll do it. No matter where he wants us to go, we'll go. No matter what he asks us to give, we'll give. Because that's the, the meat of what we've been covering over the last two days. And it seems to me, in my, at least my mind, my spirit, that it would be a shame for us to come there and go, yeah, interesting. Imagine what God could do in the kingdom at Berean if just this group of men would say yes to that. He took 12 men and transformed the world. Father, I don't know where each man is at, but we're confronted with truth. And we thank you that we're free from sin, that we're no longer under the law, but under grace. And so we have this life that we can choose to obey. And we want, to reign, want you to reign in our lives. We know, Lord, that you're not pleased that we've given 80% or 60%, but you want 100%. You want us to let go of every every aspect that we try to control our, our life. Lord, would you convict us? Lord, would you stir these men to yield? Hearts are in prayer, heads are bowed. Would you yield yourself to be a slave of righteousness tonight? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm your slave. What you want me to do, I'll do. What you want me to give, I'll give. Where you want me to go, I'll go. I yield myself. I give up control. I confess that your will and purposes are good.
that's your heart's prayer, would you raise your hand with me? Amen. Lord, we confess as we raise our hands, I am a slave of righteousness. And I thank you that I'm in Jesus, who's my Lord. And I will go where you want me to go. And I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll give whatever you want me to give. My life is yours. It is no longer my life, but your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.